Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part one of the Gospel of John, chapter six. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Welcome to our lecture of John chapter 6. Now Jesus had come for the salvation of the Jews. Common Jews, we saw that at the wedding feast. He had also come for high-level, highbrow aristocracy Jews like Nicodemus. He had come for Samaritans, even women. He had come for Edomites, King Herod's line, the Edomites. He heals the royal official son. He's come for unsynagogue Jews, Jews that don't even know their faith. They're trying to put their hope in false gods like Asclepius. And Jesus asked, do you want to be made well? Because guess what? He had the power needed to make someone well. Now it ended chapter five. Jesus said, do not think that I will accuse you before the father. Your accuser is Moses on whom you've set your hope. If you believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. But if you do not believe what he wrote, then how will you believe what I say? So where did Moses write about Jesus? Because Jesus said that he did. Well, it's in Deuteronomy 18, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You shall heed such a prophet. He goes on to say, the Lord replied to me, they are right in what they have said. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among your own people. I'm going to put my words into the mouth of the prophet who shall command to them everything that I command. And anyone who does not heed the words of that prophet, I will hold accountable. So there is the prophet that they're all waiting for. Could this be the prophet, the one Moses wrote about? And we saw that in Revelation chapter 11, those final two witnesses, the same author John was telling us about, that in that end, that great day of the Lord, there would be those two witnesses who would prophesy for 1,260 days, which is 42 months, which is three and a half years. And we figured out that God's final two witnesses would be John the Baptist as a new Elijah and Jesus Christ as a new Moses the prophet john a new elijah jesus a new moses and malachi even foretold both of them moses and elijah before that great day of the lord and they were both there they were both present in the transfiguration peter james and john were eyewitnesses to that but god had revealed his name to moses way back in exodus 3 i am who i am But Jesus, this new Moses, has actually shown us the face of God. He is the great I am. And we'll see seven I am statements. Now, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me and heed this prophet. Could this be the one? Could this be the new Moses? What signs can he do? What signs can he do? Because Moses did tons of signs. Well, just like Moses turned water to blood, Jesus turned water to wine. And then that wine, you'll further turn to his own Eucharistic blood. Yes, he's a new Moses. Moses goes up the mountain to get the law. Now the new Moses, Jesus, goes up the mountain to fulfill the law. We're going to see that today. Moses gave manna from God, 
But Jesus is the new Moses, and he is the manna. He is the heavenly bread. So the old covenant, the new covenant, the two witnesses, the two witnesses. Here we go, John 6. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. Now notice, he goes to the other side. That's important. What happened when he got there? We know John doesn't always go chronologically, right? But if he was coming from Jerusalem, and he goes straight up to the Sea of Galilee, and he takes a boat to the other side, he's near Capernaum on the Jewish side. And that makes sense because we're told about 5,000 being there. And five is always the five books of Torah times a thousand times fullness. And so this is on the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, is this Jesus a new Moses? Because the old Moses also went to the other side of a sea. He passed through the waters of death to a life that would become a symbol for baptism and a way to get to the promised land. He stood on the edge of that great Red Sea and the Israelites heard the advancement of Pharaoh's armies off in the distance, chasing them. Pharaoh of Egypt had lied. He had released them and now they're coming after him. The people are panicking. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Because even though that was a closer, nearer way to go, God thought if the people face war, if they face battle, they're going to change their minds and return back to Egypt. They weren't ready. So God led the people by the roundabout way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the Israelites went up out of the land of Egypt prepared for battle. So God is going to reroute them. But he's going to give them something, and it's his Holy Spirit, and it's hidden in the Old Testament. But the Spirit of the Lord was always with them, because he was there in a pillar of cloud by day, and he was there in a pillar of fire by night. And God led them. So they are in communion with the Trinity, the voice of God the Father. They have Moses, who's a figure of Jesus, and they have the Holy Spirit, the pillar and cloud. But Pharaoh will say to the Israelites, they're wandering aimlessly in the land of the wilderness. And God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them so that I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all of his armies. And then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And so they did. And in this story, we saw Pharaoh as the evil character. Okay. So this new Moses, Jesus is also going to battle evil namely Satan, who will enter Judas in John's gospel. And tonight, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. For he, though one of the twelve, was going to betray Jesus. One of you is a devil. And we have Satan whispering into the ear of Judas. And in some way, the truth of Jesus has somehow hardened the heart of Judas even though he's one of the 12. And that's just what happened to Pharaoh. Pharaoh got a hardened heart by God. Now, in John 13, we're going to see that last supper. And uh, Jesus says, not all of you are clean. He knows one is going to betray him. And Judas leaves early. And he says, one of you will betray me. And it was troubling the spirit of Jesus. And they wanted to know which one it is. And Jesus said, the one I dip my bread in the same dish And he gave a piece of bread to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And he received the piece of bread, and Satan entered into him. Now, has Jesus, this new Moses, hardened Judas' heart in some way? 
Would God bring better good from it when many would come to believe the gospel? It's a question to think about. Because in Matthew 27, we read the story of the suicide of Judas. And did you know that later Judas, it says, he repented and brought back the 30 pieces of silver. And he said, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what's that to us? See to it yourself. Throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed and Judas went and hanged himself. Was Judas then predestined to hell for betraying Jesus? Did Judas still have a chance for salvation? And I was praying about that this week. Well, in the Apostles' Creed, there are 12 articles of the earliest faith of the 12 apostles. And tradition says that at Pentecost, full of the Holy Spirit, each apostle got to write one article of belief. There were 12, but Judas wasn't there, but they had replaced him with Matthias. So Matthias got to write the last two because it was the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Judas isn't there. He had already hung himself. Philip wrote number five, the descent into the inferno. Now, Judas doesn't get to write an article because he's already dead. Or is he already eternally alive? (laughs) And I started thinking about that because Philip writes, he descended into hell. That's one of the creeds. It's one of the articles of faith of the apostles. And he's talking about the harrowing of Hades. For all who had died before the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they're in a holding pattern. So Judas had committed suicide before the crucifixion of Jesus. So he's in a holding pattern in Hades. And Philip says he descended, Jesus descended into hell. And Peter in scripture writes about it. Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he, Jesus, went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison. Those imprisoned spirits in Hades who in former times did not obey, like Judas maybe. And Peter goes on to say, for this is the reason the gospel was proclaimed even to the dead, so that though they had been judged in the flesh, as everyone is judged, they might live in the spirit as God does. They didn't know the gospel yet. Anyone who died before Jesus opened the gates of heaven back to the Father didn't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Jesus, in his mercy, goes and preaches to the spirits in prison, one of which was Judas. So I don't know what Judas said when Jesus preached the gospel. If he said, I'm with you, brother, and up they went. I don't know. Or if he said, I will not serve like Lucifer did and eternal damnation. That's the choice. Interesting, isn't it? Did Judas believe or reject the gospel of the risen Jesus Christ? Back to Moses standing at that Red Sea. Why do you cry out to me? Just lift up your staff and stretch it over the sea and divide it so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. So Moses lifted up his staff, and can you imagine? And all the Israelites ran through as fast as they could because they could hear the chariots behind them. And the Lord said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them so that I will gain glory for myself, and they'll know I'm the Lord. And so they did. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch your hand now over the sea again so that the water may come back down upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon the chariot drivers. The waters returned and covered all the chariots. And the chariot drivers and the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. Didn't God want the salvation of Pharaoh? Why does he keep hardening his heart? Doesn't he want his salvation? Well, Pharaoh too would have been one of those in Hades. 
his spirit would have been there. He died before Jesus opened the gates of heaven. So Jesus is going to preach that same gospel of salvation to Pharaoh. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. They feared the Lord. They believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Now, Moses is a larger-than-life character in the Old Testament, but the new Moses is an amazing prophet in the New Testament, and John certainly had Moses on his mind when writing his gospel, especially this chapter. The Trinity was revealed to Moses, but it was hidden. I am who I am. Here's another example of how the Trinity is hidden. The voice of the Father is speaking. The tree of life, the burning bush, is Jesus. It's never consumed. And the fire is the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is right there with Moses, hidden. And Jesus said, this new Moses, Jesus, said that the Father wants people who worship in spirit and truth. He wants people in communion with the entire Trinity. That's what true communion is. And he told that to the woman at the well. Jesus, the truth, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, the living water. Now next, there's a large crowd that kept following him. Because Jesus is the new Moses. And they, they, they saw signs that he was doing for the sick, especially for the sick. So I had to think back, what sick did Moses heal through God's power? First one I could think of was Aaron and Miriam. They got jealous of their brother Moses. And they, why is God always speaking through him? How about us? You know, we can prophesy too. And the Lord heard this. And the man Moses was very humble more than anyone else on the face of the earth. And the Lord's anger flared up against Aaron and Miriam, and he called them to himself. And the Lord said, when there are prophets among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. Not so with my servant Moses. He is entrusted with all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly, not in riddles. And he, Moses, beholds the form of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, that's huge. That's huge for God to say of Moses. Moses beholds the form of the Lord. You know, his face would radiate with light so brightly that they couldn't even look at him. He had to cover it with a cloth. So he's very angry that Miriam and Aaron, the Lord's angry. His anger is kindled against them, and he zaps Miriam with leprosy. She turns white as snow. And they say, oh, oh, Moses, please, oh, do not punish us for this sin. Oh, we've so foolishly committed this sin against you. And Moses cried out to the Lord, oh, God, please heal my sister Miriam. And she was healed of her leprosy, but still she had to do penance. She had to stay seven days outside the camp. Now, what does leprosy often spiritually symbolize in the Bible? Sin. It's unclean. It's contagious. It spreads. It's deadly. Moses who the Lord God said he beholds the form of the Lord, this Moses has the ability to heal Miriam of her leprosy, allegorically of her sin. Remember that. What other sick people does Moses heal? They're set out by the way of the Red Sea. They go around the land of Edom, where the Edomites were, and the people are getting impatient, and they start complaining against God to Moses. Why have you brought us out here to die in the wilderness? There's no food, no water. We detest this miserable food. Oh, really, you do. You detest this miserable food, this bread that I have rained down from heaven, this medicine of immortality, this antidote for death, this food that makes us live forever, the bread of angels, the bread from heaven, viaticum food for the journey to the promised land. You detest it. Oh, Well, while they were busy complaining about this detestable, miraculous bread, 
The Lord God sent poisonous serpents to bite the people, and many of the Israelites died. It was a great sickness, a great, great, great sickness. And what's it caused by? Sin. The sickness is caused by snake bites or sin. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of God be lifted up, that all who believe in him may have eternal life. Moses lifts up that bronze serpent on a pole as God instructed. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus, this new Moses, came to heal our sickness caused by sin, not to condemn us, but to save us, to heal us. Because after the fall, everything changed. Paul says, we exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Everything became disordered. We now knew that the whole creation was groaning in labor pains. Why? For a new creation to be birthed. So look up to the new Moses and be healed of all your snake bites. So first, Jesus atones for our sin with his own blood. And that's huge because he did this once for all perfect sacrifice when he offered himself. He was the victim and the priest. And he does this blood atonement through what? A valid priesthood. And that is essential. A valid priesthood. Hebrews told us if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood for the people received the law under the priesthood, what further need would there have been to speak of another priest arising according to the order of Melchizedek rather than the one according to the order of Aaron, the Levites? Now, the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, Judah, from which no one has ever served at the altar because that was only for the Levites. For it's evident that our Lord was descended from Judah and in connection with the tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. It is even more obvious that another priest arises resembling Melchizedek, one who has become a priest, not through a legal requirement concerning physical descent, but through the power of an indestructible life. Who do you know who had an indestructible life? And in John 6, this new eternal high priest who had an indestructible life says this, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you have no life in you. But still, the apostles before the Holy Spirit's descent, they don't know how is this going to happen. Even Moses didn't say anything remotely close to this. Because Moses had said in Leviticus 17 that eating blood was absolutely prohibited. If anyone from the house of Israel eats any blood, I'm going to cut that person off from the covenant. Now, this is God's pedagogy. Remember that? It's constantly the way God teaches all throughout Scripture. God had covered their shame of original sin, that sin. He covered it. He covered them with animal skins. These are the very first animals that God ever has to kill because he gives them their skins to clothe their shame. So what's he do with the animal? The first animal blood, he teaches them, was used as an atonement for sin. This is God's pedagogy, the way he taught. It must be animal blood to atone for sin. So they taught their children that. And Abel got it right. He brought an animal that had blood in it. Cain brought vegetables. Which did God prefer? Blood. Blood's what atones for sin. So God accepted the blood sacrifice of Abel. And in the Eucharistic prayer number one, it says, Be pleased to look upon these offerings as you once were pleased to accept the gifts of your servant Abel, the just. It's blood that God wanted. This is God's pedagogy. God taught and retaught and retaught that only, only blood was the acceptable atonement sacrifice for sin. 
blood atonement through what? A valid priesthood under God's authority. That's his pedagogy. That's why there's a sheep gate at the temple, because morning and night, morning and night, morning and night, they're going to kill animals. They're going to use their blood for animal sacrifice for atonement of sin by a valid priesthood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Now listen what he goes on to say Moses does, and they don't get this part. I have given it to you for making atonement for your lives on the altar. For as life, it is the blood that makes atonement. Now Jesus says, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And when the disciples heard this, they said, well, this teaching is too difficult. Who can accept this? And Jesus, being aware that they were complaining, he said, does this offend you? And they're like, yeah. Yeah, it does, because Moses said eating blood was prohibited, and anyone who eats it, I'm going to set my face against that person, and they'll be cut off. Yeah, it offends us. But it's all going to make sense one day. It's all going to make sense one day. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you for making atonement for your lives on the altar. It's the blood that makes atonement. Wait and see how I, Jesus Christ, the new Moses, is going to fulfill what the old Moses said. But we're going to need the Holy Spirit. So I got to do all the other work first. I won't leave you orphan. I'm going back to the father, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And then your minds will be illuminated. You're going to understand everything. Like, what would you guys say right now? If you were to see the son of man ascending, like, what if you just saw me transvaporate up to heaven? And they did see that. Can you imagine being there that day and just seeing him go up? It's the spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. And guess what? Only two of them made it to the promised land, just Joshua and Caleb. They all died, even though they ate the bread from heaven. But this bread that I'm going to give you, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. And the verb in the Greek is trogos. It's to gnaw and chew on it. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Signs for the sick. Those especially sick in sin because that's the worst fatal illness you can ever have. Sin on your soul, especially mortal sin. Jesus, the new Moses, had come to heal the sick. And the worst illness are those trapped in sin because it's eternally fatal. Like the Samaritan woman who's living in adultery. She has five husbands. She's living with a six. He wants to get her out of that. Because he loves her. The lame man at Bethsaida in the pagan healing pool, he's trapped in idolatry. He wants to get him out of that. Get out of that so something worse doesn't happen to you. And now today in John 6, with Moses on his mind, the new Moses went up the mountain. Oh, who else did that? The old Moses also went up the mountain. And Jesus went up the mountain and sat down with the disciples. Every Jewish rabbi sits down to teach. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews was near. Ah, Passover. This is so important, and you're going to have to buckle up your seatbelts to stay with me. But Moses was given seven feast days in Torah. Seven, perfection, feast days in Torah. Jesus, the new Moses, is going to fulfill all seven feasts in Torah. And John is the only one who theologically shows us this. Jesus is going to be the fulfillment of every Jewish feast. And here's the Jewish liturgical calendar. All the important things happen in a seven-month period, starting with the first month, Nisan, which is Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost, which we're going to focus on today. This is a spring festival. They said the grass was green. Jesus has already fulfilled the spring feasts. 
And we'll go over that right now. Passover, festival of the Jews was near. Three feasts are very close together in the spring. Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. Okay, Jeopardy question. Which patriarch in the Bible started the very first Passover? Ding, ding, ding. Moses. Who was Moses? Yes, and it was the tenth sign, the fullness of signs for Egypt. And what saved them from death was the blood of the lamb, the blood of the Passover lamb on their doorposts. Now, if Passover was near in this passage today, they won't be eating leavened bread for a long time. Because Moses said to the people, remember this day when you came out of slavery, the Lord brought you out by the strength of his arm. No leavened bread shall be eaten. And that's the feast of unleavened bread. And for seven days, they can have no bread with leaven or yeast in it. So they had to eat that crackery bread. It's not as good as yeast bread, but they were to get all the leaven out of their house and eat nothing leavened for seven days. And how long should they do this? Forever. Keep this as an ordinance. It's proper time from year to year to year, forever, a perpetual ordinance for all time, this unleavened bread. Remember that. Okay. The same month as Passover is the festival of unleavened bread to the Lord. Seven days. You shall eat only unleavened bread. Why unleavened bread for seven days? Well, one thing is they were going to be in a hurry to leave that night. When Pharaoh says go, they had to go. They were going to be in a hurry to get out. You can't be waiting for bread to rise, for yeast to rise. Also, they were to sweep their homes clean of any leaven. Why? Because like leprosy in the Bible, leaven can also be like sin, right? Because leaven makes things rise. Jesus warned, watch out for the yeast, the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Because what happens with yeast, any of you bread makers, you add yeast, you put a little sugar in some warm water, you activate it, it starts multiplying, you put some flour in, you keep kneading it, you walk away for a while, you come back in a couple hours and the dough's going over the side of the bowl. That's how sin is. It... <sighs> Paul said, your boasting's not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? So get rid of the unleavened bread for seven days. Get rid of the old yeast, says Paul, so you can make a new unleavened batch as you really are, sin-free, after Jesus. Paul says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus Christ fulfills Passover. He's the Passover lamb. Also, Paul says, therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, what is this new unleavened bread of sincerity and truth? It's him. I am the bread of life. I am the truth. He's the bread of truth. He's the unleavened, no sin, sin-free bread that we can eat and be in communion with the Trinity and live forever. Jesus wants to heal us from the worst sickness, which is sin. And so we eat the sin-free, unleavened Jesus, and it's the medicine of immortality. The Eucharist heals us by bringing us into this leaven-free, sin-free communion with the Trinity. That's why we go to confession if we're in mortal sin before we go to communion, because we want to be sin-free so we can have a total communion. That was part one of the Gospel of John, chapter six, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.